This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So you all know that um, there was a meeting, because uh, we talked about it yesterday, at the York Region Catholic School Board, and resistance among some parents to uh, a pride flag. Many Catholic school boards, Halton for one, I know out in Durham where I live, have put the flag up, um, but I, I'm not going to tell you it's a non-complicated issue. What I saw, though, from the video Tuesday night um, was really bad, R- really bad. This wasn't a debate. This wasn't about practicality. Um, there were certainly some some hateful words thrown, and I don't want to push every parent that showed up and in, in, into the same group. But someone who was there can uh, can give us a better uh, a better sense of it. Um, York Region P Flag President Tristan Coolman is kind enough to join us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time for our audience. Thank you for having me, Greg. When you reflect back on Tuesday, um, what, do, what do you make of it? Do I have that right? Do you say, I don't want to put everybody in this category or that category, but it kicked off. And, and to be honest, I saw on video some adults not acting like adults, to be blunt. Yeah, you know, we all have a right to voice our, you know, different opinions, but I think that we also have to look at our roles in society and community and everyone has a responsibility. And that's where um, these responsibilities of these adults really, they failed these kids and they did what trusted adults in a community um, and speculation on parents were finding out that this might be actually an organized group that's going around, but I digress. You know, these are still uh, adults in a community who uh, should be trusted adults and who should know better. And uh, they bullied and intimidated uh, a student delegation of tears. Did you have a feeling that the, it, that somewhere it would kick off and security would be involved. I mean, again, I roll my eyes that the police had to be called. Like, we got to be better than this about talk. We got to have more decorum and maturity than this. Did you have a sense it was going to go wrong even from the beginning? Uh, I had a sense that something could happen. And that's simply based in precedent at the last two meetings when we had um, uh, the board had a queer uh, related item on the agenda. Uh, And I think it's important to kind of set that to kind of reflect on that precedent too. anytime that at this particular meeting that uh, the community has wanted to have a voice, there's have been dissenting voices and they have tried to intimidate and bully. So um, there's a pattern of events. You've sent a public letter to the board. Um, what is what's the context of the letter and what kind of response are you hoping for next? We've sent many letters over the years and we haven't gotten any responses. So the context of this letter, especially after the last three months of how they have structured their meetings and the supports that have been available for folks there and how they have tried to create a safe space or the lack thereof or the lack of attempt to create a safe space for these students. Um, We wanted to illustrate to the school board and we wanted to illustrate to our community that their runway, they're at the end of the runway. Um, You know, we talk about allyship, we talk about learning journeys and educational moments, but when a trusted institution like this has had decades of it and they haven't produced uh, meaningful and um, uh, obvious results and this continues to happen, we need to tell them that you, you, now is the time to really step up your game, uh, and that's why we're looking to put a, des- a designation on their or uh, on their institution that uh, tells our community that this institution is unsafe for the queer residents and students of York Region. Tristan Coolman is our is our guest on Toronto today. L- let me get there with that word unsafe. I mean, I would make the case that a flag. I know how important it is. I know it's been important from. The, the first one went up in 1978 in San Francisco, right? Harvey Milk, Gay Freedom Day Parade. Um, we've, we've, we're almost 50 years removed from that, and we're a 
ton further ahead, but we still have a ways to go. But I would make the case that a flag is is an overtly political symbol. Why would it tell the audience why the flag going up a pole changes someone from feeling unsafe to safe? It It is a symbol. Like, I don't think they feel physically unsafe. Like, if it's not up, I could be assaulted. If it's up, I won't be. It, it can't just be that that black and white. Uh, no, it's not. And certainly the flag isn't either. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and, and purposeful in that way. It's visible because our lived experiences have been subjugated and have been tried to be relegated to be invisible for such a long period of time. Um, and uh, studies in Canada, you know, the federal um, LGBTQ2IA health in Canada study shows um, that when queer folks um, are visible and their lived experiences are affirmed, they have better access to overall health outcomes that significantly um, increase uh, their uh, uh, sure. their personal wellness and their lived experiences. And you know, symbols like the pride flag, the progress pride flag, they are all part of that. Um, they're not the sole solution and the one solution, but they're part of a solution. And when we're talking about improving the lived experiences of marginalized communities and societies, there is no one solution to any one individual group. And that's why it's important to this community. Um, you know, I remember being a kid and the, my first interactions with the pride flag after I had come out or even before I was uh, ready to come out, you know, that's a symbol that a lot of, uh, you know, young queer folk um, and older queer folk coming out really attach themselves to. And it's that attachment attachment to visibility that we seek so much in society. Yeah. I, I, how old were you when you came out? 17. 17. Yeah. And and I, I think about that um, and I think how difficult that is for, I will call, I'll call it the average 13, 14, 15, 16 year old and how many questions circulate in the teenage brain in any circumstance, let alone, you know, the era where you, you would have been 17. How would you... So, yeah, I want to get I want to dig in more on unsafe versus safe, though. Like, I, I, I know it's not a light switch. I know it's not like drinking water. Drinking water is either safe or unsafe. What's mm-hmm. what's the middle ground between those two things? Do, like, again, do you worry someone's just going to put up a flag, shrug their shoulders and go, well, there you go. You feel safe. It takes way more than that, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. Yes. And you know, I actually attended uh, with my partner an event last night, um, you know, for um, queer um, engineers and architects and designers. And the, one of the themes uh, was queer safe spaces. There were these two tables of maps of Toronto and one uh, table was label, you know, where you feel safe in the city. And the other table was where you um, don't feel safe in the city. And there's differing views because of our different lived experiences. But um, there are patterns that we can draw as well. And uh, all we can really do is mm-hmm. try to make these spaces. Uh, and uh, as safe as possible. Um, and there's a lot of different things that can be done. Um, it, it's obviously varied and very nuanced, but, uh, you know, you have to, the, the key to all this is to really listen to community and listen to what they're telling you and to do your best to really implement what uh, they're telling you. It's Tristan Kuhlman joining us, um, York Region President of PFLAG joining us on Toronto Today. Is there a, is this a more delicate ask, I suppose, a complicated ask, let's say that at a Catholic school than a public school? If I was a Catholic parent, look, I, I think the flag should be up. That's me saying that. But if I came and sat to you and we had a coffee and said, listen, I'd never stop you from your rights here, your rights there. Love who you want to love, marry who you want to marry. But I believe in the Catholic religion. I think you and I would agree the Catholic Catholicism is not the only religion that has either a discriminatory history or a discriminatory present towards gay and lesbian people beyond the obvious. Like if I said to you, this is how I feel as a parent, is that is that hateful or do you go, well, we just happen to disagree and have a disconnect? 
I, you know, that's where the school board, that's where things become delicate and difficult because that's where the school board wants to kind of uh, try, try to live and try to bring people together. They want to try to bring people together from that perspective of we all have different viewpoints. And what we're trying to bring to the table is, yeah, we all have different viewpoints, but I think we also need to look at the details of those viewpoints. And if the detail of the viewpoint is to root your own um, bigotry of uh, queer folks and other marginalized folks, in religion and to use religion as your smokescreen, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, religion and faith, um, you know, anything that I've looked at, you know, you, us and man and humans have used those institutions to wield power dynamics, but the religion themselves and the faith. Themselves, oh, you bet. You bet. But if I, yeah. but I, I'm not a religious person, by the way, but if I believed it, how would you talk me out of it? How could I sit with someone who was pro-life and I'm not going to be able to talk them out of it in 10 minutes. I'm just going to have to shrug my shoulders and go, we disagree and there's laws that protect my way and and they don't protect yours right it's, it's about personal safety you're not going to convince everyone um you know and in particular with the school board where they continue to live and you know i listened to some of the interviews that they did yesterday um one question that um the manager the senior manager of communications uh mark rosen's uh uh, was asked was, uh, is there one particular person or group uh, that is to blame for what happened last night? And clearly there is because there are people who are removed from the meeting, uh, but he wouldn't place blame. Mm, um, you know, yeah. it, And uh, when you have an attitude like that towards this, and when you're unwilling to go on such a public forum and to say what these people did were wrong and what you know, the effect of their behavior um, mm. was, uh, was wrong and to not even to be able to admit that, this is where we have an institutional problem, and that's where these uh, unsafe spaces at the Catholic board are going to continue if the, this, that type of lens is brought to the discussion. I gotcha. I, I thank you so much for the chat. I'm so glad we uh, we connected, and I'd really uh, June is a month away. Can we have another conversation about it before June, and, and hope that there's a resolution here? I'd love to. Okay, thanks so much, Tristan Coolman. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty, Toronto. Kind of mad at everybody in the story except the kid. Here's the headline. Parents demand answers after elementary school cuts hair of child with autism. It's quite a headline. It gets your attention. But Break it down for us. The parents of a nine-year-old who's deemed uh, nonverbal want answers, they say, an EA at a Toronto school earlier this month, so a couple weeks ago maybe, um, and it's at George Webster Elementary School in East York. So the boy's in grade four. He got something sticky in his hair. This can happen. Rubber cement, glue, um, some kind of art project, sparkle, whatever. He got a sticky red substance in his hair and became distressed. An EA cut the portion of his hair that was making him distressed. Um, The parents uh, says the school should not have done that. And um, they now here's the point again. He gets he's high anxiety. He's he's autistic. When they go, this is how it's described. The boy struggled with haircuts for most of his life. He gets aggressive. He'll push us. His anxiety level will get very high, but they don't like that he did this. And yet I look at I think about the EA Sheba with the best of intentions. And I have to give him or her the benefit of the doubt and think they thought they were doing the right thing in the moment. And are they in, in hot water? If they don't help this child, I don't know. There are so many questions that I have so about many. this. So this child is autistic. They're nonverbal. Uh, had a sticky red substance put in his hair and he became distressed. For that reason alone, I think I might have done the same thing as an EA. Because you're watching this child struggle. We're trying to get it out of his hair. It's not coming out. 
if it's just a little piece of it, I might do the same thing, depending on how severe his reaction is. Uh, from what I'm reading here, it was a pretty severe reaction. And, and I really think that this EA should be judged by their intention. So I think these, I mean, I have a, I'm a, I have a nine-year-old. She's not on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But if this happened at school for her, I'd be like, uh, okay, be more careful. Now, this child is on the spectrum, so I can't say this. I wouldn't say the same thing to him. But forgive the EA already. Like, I think that there was no ill intent here. Um, no, I don't think there was any ill intent. And I'm, I'm ticked at the TDSB because they've played this, placed this EA on leave, on home assignment. Ridiculous. The school is going to investigate. By the way, the TDSB loves to make these announcements. Here we are being proactive. Something happened in the school. And they never follow up and explain things. What happened to that six-year-old boy? And the and the mom who 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 got a uh, principal, a vice principal, and the school teacher on leave at John Lewis Public School. What happened? We never heard anything. Not a thing. We don't know anything about it. Like it's called following up. People are you know you paid good money to communicate with the people that that send kids to your school. Here's the other thing, and this may come across the wrong way, but I said it to you. I know there's other people here at the station that feel the same way. What on earth? are the parents doing going to the media with this? I never do that. I try not to judge parenting. I swear to God, I don't. But I would never, ever, ever in a million years um, have my kids face all over this news network and that news network and in this newspaper and in that newspaper. What do you want out of this? What do you benefit from by taking this public instead of making some phone calls and making it private? No, there's something else going on, though, because the parents are saying they're uh, dissatisfied with the school's response to the issue. What else are you supposed to do? Like, they put the what do you EA mean? You go to the media. Leave. Our parents yeah. wouldn't have gone to the media. No, my mom uh, would. No, Don't. she would not have. No, she I, I probably would have been grounded for getting the red sticky substance in my hair. But you just said it. You said be out. more careful yes. to, to, to your child. Now, again, we don't expect this. These are special circumstances. Yes. But I swear... I swear there was there was moments like this in school where um, where something got in somebody's hair or on a piece of clothing and the teacher or gum. Would, Have you ever gotten gum? Gum, in your hair? exactly. My mom cut that. She tried to get it out, cut it right out, and said, "Learn your lesson. Don't put your gum in your hair." We used instead of glue for a while. We had that rubber cement where you would, um, and but you could make what looked like little brains out of it if, if the stuff would harden and just leave it sitting on your desk. And we'd have competitions. The boys would because we were idiots to try and come up with the the highest rubber. Bottom lining this again. I I I think this is is this just the world we're in? What what are you getting out of this with the media instead of a private conversation? My dad would say, if this was me, I'm the kid. That's my dad. He says, I want to meet. I want to talk about this. I want to get this done asap, and then I want to move on. That's what he would say. Period. And they're saying that they don't feel safe sending their son to the oh, school under God's this teacher's yeah, supervision. That's a little extra. And they're also dissatisfied with the TDSB's proposed timeline for relocating their son to another school. So they're keeping him home in the meantime. There's something that we don't hear. It doesn't make sense. I got it. Yeah, exactly. Here's the quote. We're angry. To give a haircut to a special needs child, you'd have to hold him tight. That's a safety concern. Well, you're also maybe documenting why the EA... But and, and by the way, I don't know where the union is. QP told us, you know, the EAs, and I believe this, are the like backbone of the school and we've got to pay them more. I'd like to see QP stand up and say, why is this teacher why is this EA at home on leave? Why 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 is this happening? Why is she deemed guilty he she or he guilty? 
before Innocent? I think there's so many. You nailed it. There's so many questions about this. Won't be the last time we talk about it. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest, uh, part of a really interesting um, Toronto Star pod. He was on with Emma Title. I'm a big fan of hers. Sean McAuliffe, Matt Elliott as well. And they were talking about the mayor's race. So um, we'll get the Coles notes of that pod. But I encourage you to go to uh, thestar.com and listen there. It's our friend Toronto Star uh, columnist Ed Keenan. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for the time. Thanks. Good morning, Greg. You, uh, when you mentioned snowmobile, oh. you, uh, you, you reminded me of my kindergarten years when I would never be able to do up the zipper on my snowsuit. So I would have the <laughs> most awkward piece of clothing on just hanging off, freezing, and uh, it's not a flashback I want, especially not in the spring. It can't be. It can't be. By the way, we'll get to the mayoral race. You were in D.C. You must have been in D.C. in when the Caps won, and you must have been there when the Leafs played them that first Austin Matthews rookie year, and it looked like like Washington was perennially disappointing in the playoffs, and then they finally put it together. That drive was actually just before I went down, but okay. that is absolutely true about that team. That, it, that again, for years they seemed like they were poised on the edge and they were just disappointing, and then when they, they sort of pushed through, they pushed through, and Tampa Bay did that. And I will say the the Washington Nats did that in baseball the year I did move down. Ah. And so I got to watch that firsthand. So I, I've been a Leaf fan long enough not to count <laughs> yet, but uh, the eggs do look good, don't they? I think so. I think so. I, I didn't know if you were at the same party that uh, Alex Ovechkin was when they won the Cup because I, <laughs> I'm like, keep that, keep that young man away from a motor vehicle for not like about the next four days if you could. So, so, yeah, that, so his his blood alcohol level drops to an acceptable level. I'll have what he's having. But, yeah, uh, pretty much. Car keys, man. Um, how are you? Are you paying much attention? I know people have to write about mayoral polls right now, um, and there's the premise of peaking too early. I think, Ed, I think we've got everybody in that's getting in. I don't think there's a willy, won't he, will she, won't she. So do the polls mean a little more now than they did two weeks ago? I think they're starting to, because I think not only is everybody in who's going to get in, but we are starting to see uh, a large sample of the candidates in action, right? Um, there's still lots of time left. But I, I'm st- starting to think, and, and I wouldn't take any particular poll as meaning anything tremendously significant, mm-hmm. but I think we've seen a, a trend in these uh, consistently in the polls that have come so far with sort of um, Olivia Chow, Josh Matlow, and, and Saunders up in the sort of top, uh, and Anna Bailau and Brad Bradford both, depending on the poll, sort of, uh, fighting to be in the mix, um, and so so I think there's something to take from that. That, that at this stage, anyway, um, those are the people who are front of mind for most voters. There's still time for other people, you know, Mitzi Hunter, uh, uh, to to uh, especially, but uh, or any of the other fifty, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, to really grab people's attention and launch up. But you know, my my rule of thumb would be that that sort of. At the very start of the campaign, the poll is just a name recognition thing. Um, but as we get into it, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month into the campaign, you're starting to see the effects of the campaigning itself uh, weigh on people. And then once those numbers get entrenched in, it's it's uh, trench warfare from there. Right? I can, yeah, it is. I, I and I I wonder if you noticed this because candidates have told me I don't think they I think they want to say it confidentially and not on the show that sometimes they'll go into communities 
and people don't know there's even an election. So sometimes I think, Ed, you're in a bubble. I'm in a bubble. We're yeah. probably in the 95th percentile of people paying attention to this. It's just what we're supposed to do. And yet at the same time, I'm, I feel a tremendous engagement compared to last fall. We felt like we just were sleepwalking last fall. And that's just because we knew who would win and we pretty much had a sense how much he'd win by. This is all different. And I think it's got I think it's got voters adrenaline up about talking about the issues and being passionate about them. I, I think I'm reading it right. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I, I think it's always going to be the case that that those of us in the bubble who follow this for a living are following it because it's kind of a hobby. Um you know, that, that that there's an average voter out there who's way less engaged than us. But I still think mm-hmm. uh, they are way more engaged than they were last fall, um, at least anecdotally. I, I will be surprised and profoundly disappointed if turnout is as low as it was last time. That, was, of course, was like a record low. But, you know, you know, there's something at stake this time, and people's votes can actually make a difference because it's not clear who's going to win. And that really changes the dynamic, not just for the, the candidates and for those of us who cover it, but also, you know, for the actual voters, right? Like, last time there really was a sense of, like, I can go and vote, but whether I like John Tory or whether I dislike him, he's going to win. So, like, I'm, it, I'm just making a statement. Is it worth my while to, to go down there just to, just, to, just to be one of, you know... I- several hundred thousand on the record. Uh, this time, that's not the case. Yeah, you nailed it, I think. Ed Keenan joining us from the Toronto Star. What what would an Ed Keenan um, best-case scenario, best scenario debate look like? How many people, how would you How would you do it? It's, I, with, I, I'm uh, going to be later today talking with uh, some people at the Toronto Star and some of our partners who have planned a debate for some time in May about exactly that question. I think if you get more than five or pick six people on stage, it gets really hard to have any kind of debate. Instead, if, if you've got more candidates than that, it's really just a, like a forum, almost like at a convention where in the hall they, you've got everybody lined up and they, they get to, to say a few sentences. Mm. But um, if it, I, I think five or six is the highest reasonable number um, for, for, for an actual debate. And, and then I think a format that lets them uh, both sort of put out their main points on the, on the key issues that are important to Torontonians and then lets them engage a little bit with each other to, to try and poke at each other and, and shows us. So, so you know, th- that allows the policies to come out and, and for them to pick apart each other's policies. Yeah, it's, also, ch- it, it's changed so much because I think, look, you know, we see presidential debates in the States. You and I could go back to, uh, you know, although it's prior to when we were alive, Kennedy-Nixon, yeah. and they look the same. They've looked the same for 65 years. But our federal debates now with five parties instead of three look different. Narrow debates look different. Um, and and sometimes you want, OK, give me a little head to head here and let candidates drill down on each other. But you're right. It's the same as as doing a radio show like one person's doing a lot of monologuing Two, there's some back and forth. But you get to four or five voices. It's too many voices. It's, it's, you got to find that right, that that sweet spot. And I don't know what it is for a mayoral debate. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think I'm not sure exactly what the sweet spot is, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that eight or 10 or 12 is probably too many voices. So does that get is there a cutoff in terms of a poll or do there are there one debate? This is what the Democrats did um, before they selected Joe Biden is 
some people one night, some people the next night drawn randomly. Like I would get somebody going, wait a minute. I have 4% in a poll. You're ba- you, you won't let me go, but you're putting in someone who's got five or six when these things are <laughs> probably still 40% undecided. It seems a little, that's the, that's a definition of undemocratic. But I, I think that here at this stage, like uh, two months out, uh, you know, we, we might hope that there will be multiple debates early on where there's kind of like trial heats, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Republicans did in the United States before. We have different nights, different candidates. But I, I think as we get closer, you know the concept in baseball of the Mendoza line, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not batting 200, you have a hard time being a serious player in the league for any length of time, right? There's a minimum sort of offensive threshold. And so I said on the, on the podcast with the Toronto Star people this week is that, you know, in Toronto we might consider it the Socknacky line named after David Socknacky, <laughs> where if you can't get to 6% in a crowded field let's say, 5 or 6%, uh, then, then you're not in the threshold of sort of minimum viability, right? He dropped out because he couldn't break 6%. He, he was getting treated seriously, he got into some debates, but he, he couldn't break through that. And, and I think that sets it sort of for the rest of us, too. And I'm not sure that that will be my debate threshold exactly, but I think you've got to set it somewhere. And it's not based on one poll or whatever, but it's based on the trends that... You know, there's going to be a group of people who have double-digit support, and those those really are the people who have a big enough lead. Yeah, uh, that that they're considered serious. And let's say that that starts, you know, like a month or five weeks before the election. Yeah, the, the like pe- now there's lots of time for people to move. Ed, the Penalosa line sounds great, but he had 17.8 last time. It's too high. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a- <laughs> too high. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what when my baseball career ended, I was below the Mendoza line the last at age 20, 21, 22. And I'm like, now it's going to be called the Brady line if I keep playing. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't play. I can't hit the curve. Trouble with the curve. We got a minute and a half here. Give me your sense of Ontario place feels wrapped as a as a municipal issue to some extent. There's still a lot that can happen. But I know that I'm fascinated by it. So I'm being a hypocrite saying, oh, I wish we were talking about more. What happened? What does it cost? What about the Science Center? I've been sucked into it also, so maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I mean, I, I think the mayoral race has to move on, and I think this be, remains an issue for Toronto, uh, and I hope it really moves more aggressively into being a provincial issue, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's something that Doug Ford has to answer questions about every day at Queen's Park, um, and, and it still stinks to me, and I hope we'll, we'll see that make a change, uh, but, but I think... Uh, People in Toronto really want to talk about affordability. They really want to talk about public safety. They really want to talk about uh, like the level of services in the TTC or the garbage on potholes on our streets. Um, and I think I think the candidates are sort of uh, moving to roll out policy on those things. Um, and so, so I think we'll see. Like Ontario Place dominated the conversation for you know a week there. I think we'll see other weeks where other topics float to the top. And candidates who are serious have a chance to show the people of Toronto that they're serious about those issues that that are really going to drive us to the to the ballot box. Right. Hear that loud and clear. Ed, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Um, Good luck to our your their Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. Thanks very much for the time. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Go Leafs. Go (laughs) again, Greg. It's always fun. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Leafs lightning tonight. Game five. The Leafs could advance to the second round for the first time in 19 years. Take that, President Joe Biden. Everybody heard what you said. 
Our next guest did as well. I think he was in the uh, in the House of Parliament when it happened. Omar Al-Gabra, Minister of Transport, is joining us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on, uh, Minister. Thanks very much for the time. Go Leafs, go. Oh, now, wait a minute. That's not, is that, yeah, you're, okay, all right. I believe it. I believe you're a, you're a diehard Leafs fan. I'll, I'll believe that. You, you know, you don't have to, there's no, we can't have a Leafs Canadian series this year and cause all kinds of internal, we got enough internal tension in the house. I think we'd agree there. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Let's keep talking about the Leafs. It's much better. Okay. So an air passenger bill of rights, lay this out, why this was necessary. And was this something you would have liked to get to earlier, but last summer, all the controversy, all the complaints. We were, it was bound to happen after COVID. And, and you said, we've got to move on this and expedite this process. Yeah, Greg, look, you and I, I think, have spoken in the past about the, some of the disruptions that we saw over the last year at our airports and in our airline sector. I wish uh, we never had to go through it. I know many people were frustrated. Uh, so was I. And what had happened was with the recovery of COVID and opening up back the air sector, we saw a lot of disruptions and it did put a lot of stress on our air passenger bill of rights, exposing several vulnerabilities. And based on those lessons learned, I promise Canadians that I'm not going to let these lessons go without action. And what I announced this week is that our government has tabled new reforms that will make the bill of rights for passengers stronger, clearer, and and ho- hopefully will lead to a better, more efficient system. One of the biggest things is, I mean, it, it's it's not a small thing, the delayed and lost baggages. I think we all realize sometimes a flight won't leave on time, especially in the winter, especially under adverse weather conditions. But I often think passengers, and I'm sure you've heard about it, say there's no excuse to lose a bag. And when you do, there's no excuse not to do everything you can as quickly as you can to find it. And I think that's where passengers felt let down a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, of course. Look, Canadians understand that in Canada, we get bad weather sometimes, and it does have an impact on on how, you know, when planes leave and land. They understand that. But what they expect is expect to be treated with dignity. They expect to be to receive the service, uh, including food and, 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 and water and other type of services. Plus, they expect to get their luggage. Uh, you know, I often wonder with when FedEx and Amazon is able to tell their customers exactly where they're packaged along the way at every moment of the day. Why couldn't airlines do that? So we want to make sure, and I know, look, I know airlines are working hard. I know people who work in, thousands of people who work in airlines go to, to their job every day, want to do the best. But there are some systemic issues, and what we're trying to do here is ensuring that airlines understand the rules, that they are held accountable for the rules, and hopefully this will... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, create incentives for better investments in luggage handling system and in other operations. What's been the airline's response and, and have some been more on board understanding um, this notion of accountability? Have, have some been more willing to play ball with your, your requirements more than others? Um, look, my sense is that most uh, airlines uh, understand why there was a need to clarify the rules. Um, Yes, some are unhappy about it. Uh, in general, some have questions about what it will it mean. Um, so we're, we're working with them. I'm, I'm meeting with all of them, explaining to them 
uh, this new phase, these new rules, and, and that it is, it is essential that airlines understand their obligations to their customers. Some people are saying, oh, is this going to lead to higher prices? And like, how is that going to be the case if all we're asking airlines to deliver what they promised their customers to do? So we're not asking that we're not holding airlines responsible for things that are outside of their control. We're just asking them to deliver on the ticket they sold to their passenger. I think it's just like anything else in a private industry, Omar, is if you go to a restaurant and I'm sure you're not a complainer. I'm sure I'm not. But I've watched people say, well, this wasn't on time or this was cold. And as long the restaurant wants to, I don't believe that the customer is always right. But if the customer is right, the restaurant will do what it because They want you coming back. The airline should feel the same way. I agree, and I think airlines feel the same way, but it's even more than that, Greg, because at a restaurant, you have a variety of restaurants so that you can <laughs> you know, leave to where you're unhappy and go to another one. In an airline, once you buy a ticket, you are stuck as a passenger. You have no other recourse, and there's an imbalance of power between the airline and the passenger, and that's why I believe there is a, a greater role for government in in this case, to ensure that we have a balance, that the passengers' rights mm. are protected. Omar Algaber is our guest on Toronto Today, 640 Toronto. I saw a report uh, two days ago. Our country needs 7,000 new pilots by 2025. There's a lot of parameters for this. And, and listen, we're seeing labor shortages in healthcare. We're seeing it in a lot of important industries. How do we get the pilots? What do we do? Can we pay them more? Can we get, make training costs a little bit less? What do you see? Let me first acknowledge that, yes, we are uh, dealing with a pilot shortage at the moment, and it's only going to get worse if we don't, we're not proactive. We, I mean, as industry, as government, uh, as education uh, institution, so we are working. So uh, with provinces, with the industry, whether through immigration, whether through training schools, I'll give you an example, Greg. Uh, I, I found out recently that pilot schools are not eligible for OSAP. Uh, for uh, for provincial uh, student loans. So we're working with provinces on figuring out how can we ensure that students who want to become a commercial pilot are able to ac- access loans and grants from, uh, from uh, government-sponsored loans and grants. So this is one idea, uh, obviously accreditation for international pilots. Uh, uh, I want to make sure we recruit the best pilots in the world, that they are well-paid, and that we have a vibrant, safe, efficient industry. Now, you became Minister of Transport, you know, a year, eight, nine months into into the COVID-19 pandemic. But prior to, without assailing him, I, I do, I would make the case Mark Garneau should probably have known that those pilots weren't weren't eligible for OSAP. And, and we didn't just get this shortage out of nowhere. Could we have done anything better in the last three or four years to, to, to stiffen up and go, this is going to be an issue. We just can't let it become a crisis. Could we have done anything differently? I mean, I, I, look, I, I always ask myself this question every day. Could we have done better? I think it's, it's fair to say, sure, we could have done better. Uh, but I think uh, this labor shortage that we're seeing today has blindsided the entire industry. Again, like you said, not just in the air sector. Uh, COVID has caused significant disruptions. So people decided to retire early. That was not predicted. No one predicted that such a large number of pilots are going to decide to leave at the same time. So there have been several external and extraordinary circumstances that have accelerated 
Mm. Uh, the trends that we're seeing. And now we have to all deal with it and figure out how to respond to it. I know people want to travel and you want to see them travel and they want to get on these uh, the, these airplanes and there's far fewer restrictions without masks and without, um, you know, the, the need for the ArriveCan app than a year ago. But but people are worried about their passports. I know that's uh, Karina Gould's department. I know Mona Forche is working with these public service workers, but I'm sure you're hearing from your constituents and, and there's an urgency, I think. I, th- I think it'll grow over time. There's an urgency for your government, A, to hold the line here, but B, we've got to get a resolution and and make sure that our economy doesn't doesn't stagnate based on uh, a few percentage points. That's my my opinion. Well, Greg, let me just say, I don't think Canadians have a lot more patience for more disruptions to our economy, to our way of life. And I understand that. And you're right. There is an urgency. That's why we're doubling down on our efforts at the negotiation table, because that is the best way to ensure uh, uh, stability in our government, uh, to reach an agreement that is fair for employer, for, for union, for taxpayer. Uh, that's what our focus is. But yes, I really am hoping we can resolve it as quickly as possible. Mm. As an aside, um, as you know, uh, politicians are sometimes praised or sometimes criticized, but I I don't know that you got into politics thinking um, the author of the Harry Potter books will someday retweet me. Like, let, like <laughs> what? I mean, I, I see all sides of that. What, what did you think when that happened? You're like, oh boy, I'm not going on the internet for a day and a half or so. What did you think of that? You know, uh, I mean, we can spend the entire day talking about the nature of the Internet, especially Twitter these days. But let me just say, uh, I I don't know, you you probably talked about it uh, to your audience. Uh, I participated over the years with this event that is held by a shelter in the Halton region. Uh, uh, They do this to raise awareness about violence against women. They do some fundraising off of it. I participated or even 20, not 20, 15 years ago, but walk a mile in her shoes. These are uh, efforts that, you know, meant to raise awareness about violence against women, uh, draw attention to the effort that uh, NGOs and charitable organizations are doing in our community. And, you know, look, I take my job very seriously. I don't take myself very seriously. And and if, 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 if it meant that I... I, I can, you know, look silly in high heels, but get people talking about this. Then I've accomplished my goal. I, I'm really grateful to the organizations who work every day in confronting this, this, this uh, phenomena, this evil phenomena where women are continuously subjected to violence. And I don't just mean physical violence. Yeah. I mean, emotional and psychological violence. So, uh, you know, some people uh, will make whatever they want out of it. Um, I'm just grateful to the organizations who are leading the charge and our government is committed to working with them at uh, confronting this phenomenon. And and I'll just sum up your response. It's fair. It's fair to point out Aaron O'Toole and many conservatives did this uh, walk as well um, in in the heels. So it's not the first time it's happened. I think what people are definitely looking for is those tangible things from your government. It gets everybody talking. You're right. And everybody will divide on issues. But there's a funding stream for women's shelters that's set to expire in September. And 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 there's a need for the federal government to make sure it doesn't because we just don't get the donations. We've had more violence 
violence and, and fewer donations from private citizens. So to, to sum up, I know you know it's important um, and, and maybe it's a conversation. I'm out of time, but it's a conversation let's have certainly in the weeks and months to come. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Greg. Have a great day. You bet. Omar Algabra joining us, Minister of Transport. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> David Zipper is a phenomenal transport travel writer. Um, he's visiting fellow at Harvard Kennedy School. To quote, quote Reese Witherspoon in Legally Blonde, what? Like, that's hard? Um, and he writes, good news. Automakers are finally realizing car touchscreens are a disaster. Drivers hate them, and they're also dangerously distracting. Buttons and knobs are poised for a comeback. So this is on Slate.com, the glorious return of an old school feature. And I think about this, Shiba, when you'd get in a car, you get in a a new car that your dad or mom bought, and you'd start just playing with knobs and playing with buttons. That might be a boy thing. There might no, be. No, no, I loved it. But I was always scared that I'd accidentally turn the car on or something and crash it. <laughs> well, but the buttons now make that more possible. Yes, you're right. right. You're it, right about it, that. Like you, <laughs> depending on where the key is and everything. Um, so we'll ask you, in or out, if we if we went from car touchscreens back to kind of knobs, tuning the radio, t- knobs for air conditioning, everything almost is controlled by a touchscreen in every new car. Would we? I'd be in on going back to buttons and knobs. How would you feel? I agree with you. I'm in on going back. I don't like the touchscreen in my car. I find it. There are several. So I did a little bit of research on this. I want us to learn something. Mm-hmm. Here are five points to this. Mm-hmm. There, there's a greater chance of distraction, which could eventually cause an accident. It also takes your eyes off the road. I'm sometimes I'm on the highway, and I find myself trying to you know get to the right station, right, get back to 640. It's the best one out there. And I take my eyes off the road. I do. And it's dangerous. And then functions are often buried in menus. So you're pressing like five different you buttons got to it. get That's to whatever a great it is. One. Yeah. Uh, and then I didn't know this. They Most of them run on old tech and they're unresponsive. So what happens is to save money, even on premium cars, what car companies do is they, they, they outsource it. So your graphics quality, your processing power, your touch accuracy, all of these things absolutely do not compare to your smartphone or your tablet. Uh, and then lastly, screen failure makes important car functions inaccessible. Even which, the, even when we changed the clocks about, I, I was I remember noticing it on the highway and I'm like, why don't I do this now? And then I'm like, what am I doing? I I'm changing the clock to <laughs> daylight savings time going 130, <laughs> sorry, Sean Shapiro, 136 kilometers <laughs> down at Gary, Gary Schmidt down the 401. Gord, in or out on, uh, on touch screens? Or uh, sorry, like in meaning let's go back to buttons and knobs, yes. out, keep touch screens. I'm in. Let's go back to buttons and knobs. Although I don't have experience with touchscreens because I got a 2008 Chevy POS, and so it's still that's the fun. actual. <laughs> that's what it's amazing. That's they what sold as many as they did. Yeah. when they marketed the I Chevy have a POS. I CD player in mind. So I no, saw that at the oh, auto I show. The Chevy that. POS. So how do you store your CDs? Do you have one of those little booklets? Uh, well, yeah, but I conveniently put it behind my chair, the driver's chair. That sounds so inconvenient. Hard, so it seems like my shoulder has to dislocate to access it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to the CDs that often. All right, so a uh, rare in or out where we're all unanimous. Let's go back to buttons and knobs in cars. 416-870-6400 via text message. Uh, let's get rid of the touchscreens. Uh, and, and then you see, you drive, I don't know how they do it. You see people watching. On on their touchscreen, yeah. something, video of something that they can transfer from their phone. I'm like, how on earth 
if I'm holding, I'm not advocating this, I'm holding in my non-dominant hand. I got to tell you which <laughs> one that is. In my non-dominant hand, I'm holding a phone up to my head like we used to and having a brief two-minute conversation. What? Pick up milk? Sure I will. How is that a $1,000 ticket and bing, bong, bing, 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 bing with your touchscreen is not a ticket? How on earth yeah. did we get there? Yeah, it should be a more. more Let, let's go to car guy uh, in the room, Dave Bradley. What do you think about that? Could we make a switch back from touchscreens to buttons and knobs? Yeah, I no. I, I think touchscreens are here to stay, honestly, and I don't mind them. Um, Should manufacturers give you an option, almost like stick and and, and yeah, automatic used to be? Even even stick is going the way of the oh, dodo at this point. So yeah, you can't really get a six speed transmission uh, much anymore. Oh. They're all they're all automatics or paddle shifts or something like that. But, I'll send you this yeah, Slate I, article no, that they're starting. Automakers are starting to to make them a little bit retro, and they think there's more roadway deaths. Because there are screens distract us in the car. You, you might be right, but like I don't mind them that much. I I don't know. I'm not. Uh, Do you I'm have Apple CarPlay in your car? Yeah, but that's distracting, isn't it? Not, Text here, or email here. No, blah, no. Blah, 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 but blah. you just hit the little button, and you can you can do your text through your voice, and it oh. it's hilarious the uh, results <laughs> that come out of it. It's fantastic. <laughs>